0: Yehuda Geber, with uh, another Jewish History Soundbites podcast. And we're going to continue something we started earlier um, about Americans and others coming, journeying across the sea to Eastern Europe in the pre-war world of the Lithuanian yeshivas and coming to study there and the challenges they faced and the stories of their uh, perseverance under those conditions. And while I mentioned the phenomenon itself last time, I thought perhaps this time to profile a certain individual, specific individuals who made this trek across the sea. It never um, became a mass movement, Uh, definitely was not a widespread phenomenon. We're talking about An American jury that predominantly sent their children at the time to public school and they never had any yeshiva education whatsoever. And then there was a tiny, tiny minority that sent their children to the new and upcoming American yeshivas. And from that tiny minority, a tiny minority went after they moved on from the American yeshivas to the European yeshivas. So you're talking about a very, very small elite cadre of of uh, of the students who many of them became leaders in the rabbinic and yeshiva world of america in the postwar war uh, world so it's really an incredible phenomenon and one of the one of the ones who was one of the early ones who 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 did that was Rabnussin Vachtfeigl. Rabnussen Vachtvegl actually grew up in Lita in Lithuania and his father was Rabbi Moshe Yomte Vachtweigel, who was one of the, uh, was the Talmud of the Alter Slabotka, who, who was one of the original 14 students who was sent from Slobot, Slobotka to Slutsk in 1897 to found the Slutsk yeshiva. And he was called, they were called, the, these 14 were called the Yad HaKazaka. So Moshe Vachtweigel's father was one of those of the Yad HaKazaka. So you're talking about someone who came from a, a prestigious yeshiva background, and when he was a young Bacher, his his father moved, his parents moved to America. And eventually he follows them and he goes to yeshiva in America. He goes to Rabbi Yisrael Chanan. And um, he, at some point, makes it back to Europe. He actually makes two, two trips back to Europe. He learns in a few places, he learned in the Mir for a period of time. He also learned in Kelm, in the Talmud Torah, the great Talmud Torah of Kelm. And that's where he um, was when the war broke out. And when the war breaks out, he stays there. He doesn't, he's not leaving. And he stays there even after the Russian takeover. Eventually, um, the British consulate in Kovna, which is closing down because of the Soviet takeover of of uh, Lithuania in the, in the summer of 1940, they encouraged all their citizens, including citizens of the Commonwealth. And Reubenson Vachtveigl fell under that category because he was a Canadian citizen and was considered part of the British Commonwealth, uh, part of the the somewhat still remaining British Empire, and um, and he was able to leave. He was able to get out, and he makes it first to Australia. And then during the war itself, he makes it back to Canada, to Montreal, eventually to New York, where he opens um, a a new koil slash yeshiva in White Plains, New York, and later invites Reb Cutler to head the institution, which eventually became Besmejish the what's now known as Lakewood Yeshiva. So Reb Nassim is coming from Kelm at that point. But what's important to note about the Reb Nassim story is how in between one of his uh, um periods of time that he was in the european yeshivas he comes back to america and he influences others to come study in the Ameri- to the litzman yeshivas and he exposes them to that world he was someone who was more steeped in that world he wasn't completely american and he influences others to go and make that trek as well. And one of the first ones he influences is a fellow by the name of Rabbi Yehuda Davis. And Yehuda Davis had grown up in Baltimore. And he is learning at the yeshiva in Rabbi He had gone to high school in Baltimore and eventually moves on to yeshiva in Rabbi Yitzhak Chanan, which at the time that he went didn't even have college. And in order to go to college, he had to go to Columbia University. He's in Columbia University. He's in Rabini al Khanan. and Ranassen Vachtweiggel, who's there, is, 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 is a senior uh, student in learning. and he comes to speak to him in learning, and he asks him a question. And Ra Vachtweiggel tells him, "If you want the answer to such questions, you have to study in the Yeshivas of Eastern Europe. And Rebuda Davis eventually gets enchanted by the idea. So he goes to study at the Mir Yeshiva. He's very much influenced at the Mir Yeshiva by a fascinating personality. Rabbi Yosef Bigon, who was a big Balmusser, a Talmud of Rabbi Rucham Levavitz, who also was very activist in, in helping Jews stuck in the Soviet Union, who the Soviet Union, the Communist Soviet Union, already at the time between the wars, this is the early 1930s, is actively destroying Yiddishkeit, Judaism, and religious life in the Soviet Union, and he actually smuggled across the borders a few times as well, and he starts schlepping Rabbi Huda Davis also across the border, which ends up being problematic, but he has to get out, uh, he gets out, but he has to leave Europe, and he comes back to America, and uh, Rabbi Huda Davis tells his friends back at Rabinu Yitzchak, you gotta, you gotta see what's going on in Europe, you gotta, you gotta really experience it, the yeshivas there are a different level and he is the one who influences many, many of the famous names who eventually go to learn in the Litvashi Yeshivas, Ramathe Gifter, or Rabbi Vigdor Miller, and others, they are influenced by Rabbi Yehuda Davis. And if not for Rabbi Yehuda Davis, probably um, the United States rabbinical leadership would be lacking in a certain depth and a certain quality because it was he who sent many of them to go study in the Litvish yeshivas. Not only that, but he himself goes back, but since he's not allowed back into Poland because of his activities together with Rabbi Yosef, Begun in smuggling across the border to help Soviet Jews. By the way, this Rabbi Yosef Begun eventually leaves the Mir and becomes a mashgiach in another yeshiva that sends Bacharim to Eastern Europe, ironically. He becomes the mashgiach in the Haida yeshiva of Rabshraga Shraga Fievel Shapiro in Belgium, which becomes a big feeder to, of, of, of uh, students to J- Eastern Europe. And uh, so from all ends, he influenced Rabbi the Davis, who came from America when he was in the Mir, and then he influences students of his in Haida in Belgium to go study in Eastern Europe as well. He unfortunately gets killed in Auschwitz by the Nazis uh, during the Holocaust. That was Rabbi Yosef Bigun. He was a big expert in, in the Ramchal's uh, works, um that's for another another time of discussion also. So Yudha Davis this time comes to Lithuania, and he goes to learn in this Labatki Yeshiva. He eventually comes with his wife, he gets married, he comes back with his wife, and he schleps along his younger brother. And since his younger brother was a young American boy, so he plays ball with him. And uh, we mentioned, I mentioned last time how the Mirbachrim would sometimes play baseball during the summer break in the forest and the dachas outside. And that one time, earlier on, they had been caught playing football. So here to round out the sports variety that they had. So Rabbi Huda Davis seems that he was playing basketball with his younger brother to, uh, to uh, you know, to help him out. It was hard being away from home and he needed that outlet. And uh, one of the Mashgichim in the Slavotki Yeshiva told him, you, Yehuda, have to stay and focus on your learning. If your brother needs to play basketball, so I'll keep him company. And this Rebbe of the Slovatki Yeshiva um, would stand outside and, and be there with Rebbe Yehuda Davis's younger brother while he would play basketball on his free time. So you had the, 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 the full gamut of sports that the American Bachar would bring to the Litvashi Yeshivas, ironically. And like we mentioned, like I mentioned, the Ravig de Miller comes to a, stu- a study at the Slabatki Yeshiva at the time. Ravig de Miller also grew up in Baltimore, and he's also learning at the at the Yeshiva of R' Yitzchak They're in a special chabura who are learning Mesilas Yesharim together, and uh, and one of the ones who the ones who gives this, who organized this, and gives the Mesilas Yesharim shir and it's a secretive shear because he's not on the yeshiva, Surabene Yitzhak Lachanen's staff, and he's not supposed to be giving unlicensed shiurim in the yeshiva, is none other, none other than Rabbi of Yasef Herman, the famous All for the Boss, uh, a subject of that book. And Rabbi Yasef Herman, who is a a a layman, uh, he wasn't a rabbi at all, living on the Lower East Side, was a, one, of the, one of the people who strengthened um Yiddishkeit and Jewish life on New York's Lower East Side in those early years and it was a famous machnes oirich. he invited all kinds and many guests into his home so he also encourages boys, his own children sons and sons-in-law to study in the, Amer- in the Litvashi Yeshivas he sent many of his own students to study at the Mir and other Yeshivas and he's the one giving this Masil Zisharim Shir that of Avigda Miller and, and others Ravida Davis was part of it and another gifter was part of it ironically Ramesha bik who was a big paisik in the bronx and later in borough park in in uh, in um in new york in those days who had recently arrived from mezhybizh in the ukraine he grew up in mezhybizh and his father was the last of. and he made it out of communist ukraine and made it to america he was also learning in shivasubinsk and was part of this Chabura. and and um and on my trips that so we go to the Ukraine, actually, we see in the Baal Shemtov's uh, Kever, in the Ayho where the Baal is, there's a diagram in the actual Ksaviyat, in the actual handwritten notes of Ramesha Bik. When the communist Iron Curtain fell, they went to Ramesha Bik and they asked him, as a young um, teenager, do you remember in the Baal Shemtov's where the position of the cover of the balshemtiv was and the other ones were. And he said, yes, I do. And he drew out a map for them. And based on that is where they rebuilt the Matzeves of the balshemtiv and other Hasidim and big Tzaddikim who are in that cover. So that's Rav Meishabik in that context as well. But Rav Mathe Gifter, Rav Miller, they both come to learn in the Litvashi Yeshivas. They come to Yeshivas in Lithuania. Rav Iqda Miller comes to Slabodka because Rabbi Isaac Scherer, who was the Rosh of Slabatka at the time, was fundraising in America, and he influenced Ravigda Miller to come to learn in Slabatka. Eventually he marries the daughter of Rebecca Meisha who is a Rav in a small Lithuanian town not far from Kovna Slabatka, and Rebecca Lesson himself becomes one of the only Lithuanian him to escape before the Nazis came to Lithuania, and he... Became eventually the mashgiach in Yeshiva Sorbeni Ezekalhana, so that was Rabbi Victor Miller and his experiences in Slobodka is something that he always talked about for throughout his life and how that changed his life and shaped uh, who he was. Rabbi Gifter's family before he was born, he was he grew up in Virginia actually, and he Portsmouth, Virginia. His family originated from Shadova in Lithuania. Now Shadova hosted a yeshiva at one point in time. Rabbi Yusuf Bloch, when his father-in-law, Blazer Gordon, the reshiva of Tells, was in Tells, he had a yeshiva in Shadova. And when his father-in-law, Blazer Gordon, died in England and Rabbi Yusuf Bloch became the reshiva in Tells, he moved a large portion of his yeshiva from Shadova to Tells. Not far from Tells, actually. And so therefore... Reb Mathe Gifter's family had a connection to the Tells area, to Yosef Leib, to the Blach family. And therefore, when Reb Mathe Gifter was ready to make his major move to go to the Lithuanian yeshivas, he chooses Tells. That's possibly the reason that he did so, although I'm not 100% sure about that. And he eventually marries the daughter of the Mashgiach and tells Reb Zalman Blach, and escapes with her at the beginning of the war to back to the United States, um, where he becomes the first a in Waterbury, Connecticut, actually, and uh, he gave some shiurim near Yisrael for a short period of time in Baltimore. He was a rabbi in Waterbury before the Waterbury yeshiva was there, obviously, and then eventually um, became a yeshiva in Tells. One of the other people who went to the Litvashi yeshivas at the time was a fascinating individual, and he was actually, as far as I know, one of the first um, in the interwar period. We men- I mentioned that some people came before World War I, it wasn't so common. In the interwar period, he was one of the first, and he's a fascinating individual, a very interesting story, a, a fellow who eventually came to be known as Harry Epstein. Harry Epstein grows up in Litta, the son of Rabbi Freyam Epstein, who's the brother of Reb Meisha Mordechai Epstein. Reb Meisha Mordechai Epstein was the Roshiva in Slabatka, the Rav in Slabatka. And his brother, Reb Ephraim Epstein, moves to America and becomes a Rav in Chicago. And one of his sons, um, Aaron David, he learns in the Hebron Shiva and is killed during the 1929 riots. There was another son, Harry, who and Harry Epstein Learned not only in the Slabatki Yeshiva by his uncle, but also in the Chevron Yeshiva. And he spent quite a few years. Before that, he had been in Rabbin Yitzhak El-Khanan. He was very close with Rabbi Revel, Rabbi Dov Bernard Revel, the, the head of Rabbin Yitzhak Khanan at the time. And he was very close with him. And he eventually came, went to learn by his uncle in Slobodka and then moved along to Hevern Yeshiva. He was in Europe and Ert Israel for five years from 1922 to 1927. Part of the time in Slobodka, part of the time in Chevron. So it's right after World War One. He's one of the first to do it. And of course it was easier for him. He stayed by his uncle. He was very close with him. He had a brother who was in Chevron, like we like I mentioned, who was eventually killed. There was an easier um, acclamation to going to Yeshiva in Europe, but he comes back to America and Rabbi Revel arranged for him to become the Rav in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Now, what was Rabbi Revel's connection to Tulsa, Oklahoma? The wealthy Jews of Tulsa, Oklahoma, were a Laba- family of Labavitcher Hasidim, the Travis family, and Rabbi Revel was married to one of the Travis young ladies, and he was very connected in Oklahoma to the Travis family. They're very wealthy, and. Um, and he was able to get this rabbinical position for his prized student, Harry Epstein. He very shortly afterwards moves over, he's still single, he moves over to become the Rav of the Ahavas Achim Shul in Atlanta, Georgia, where he basically remains for the rest of his life. He lived a tremendously long life. He died at the age of 100 in the year 2003, not long ago. And he sees that Yiddishkeit in America is, is, uh, is, is being wiped out, and uh, especially out of the New York area where there's no real Jewish education. In places like Atlanta, the 1930s, 40s, 50s, the post-war era for sure, there was a phenomenon described in American Jewish history of the death of Orthodoxy um, outside of the New York area in the post-war era because of the lack of Jewish education, because of the lack of connection that the youth felt in the Orthodox synagogues of their parents, and Harry Epstein makes the conscious decision, although he himself is Orthodox, although he himself is the son of Rabbi Ephraim Epstein, son-in-law of Ramiel Talmud of Slabodka and Heaven, to move the shul towards the Conservative movement because he wants to retain the youth inside the synagogue. Ironically, he says that the first move that he made towards that direction was to switch the speeches from Yiddish to English. And that was considered a concession to the conservative movement. So, you know, I don't want to say anything about the shuls today, that these sermons are given in English. But, uh, but that was in those days, that was considered a move, a concession towards conservative, uh, the conservative movement. And eventually, has in mixed seating and all kinds of other things, and um, very interesting dynamic. That here you have this someone who's so steeped in the Litvashi Yeshiva world. On the other hand, he feels like this is the only solution to keep the youth in the synagogue. Very interesting story in itself, by the way. He's not the only one who did that, and that can't that possibly would be a topic in itself to examine Orthodox shuls and Orthodox rabbis in the move towards the conservative movement in the 1940s and 50s, when it seemed that Orthodoxy had no future. Another Interesting story about someone coming to learn and study at the Mir Yeshiva was Reb David Bender, Reb David Bender, who's the father of the well-known uh, Menahel Rosh Yeshiva of the Yeshiva's Darkei Torah, Reb Yaakov Bender. So Reb David Bender came to learn in the Mir Yeshiva um, as a young bacher. He came along with his mother, and Rucham Hashem describes it in all for the boss, and uh, and it's brought in his book itself and many other places about how this amazing phenomenon, this woman who felt that the her son's future would best be by his education in a place like the Mir Yeshiva. So she's moving with him there. Her husband was on the road most of the year. Anyway, His he wasn't able to be home most of the time. And she parks herself in the Mir, uh, a middle-aged woman, so that her son could learn there. And there she remains for six years with her son. And her house became a... A hub for the American students learning at the Mir Yeshiva. There's quite a few of them, and she's like a mother to them, not only for her own son but for all the men. She's the only middle-aged woman. She's very American, and she takes care of many of them at there at the time. And a very special woman, a very special story. And her Brother Bender comes back also. Now, many of these Bachrim um, um, end up being in the in the Litvashi Yeshivas when the war breaks out, or near when the war breaks out, or Gidal Yeshwar is another great example. He came from a family of sadi-gera, Hasidim in Poland, and he moves to America at the age of 12, and he learns in Yeshiva's Torah Vadas. He's one of the only ones of this whole bunch that we mentioned that does not study ever in public school. He goes to Yeshiva, and he, and he eventually comes to learn in the Kletzk Yeshiva by Rabbi Aaron Cutler, one of the only Americans who learns in Kletzk. Most of them went to the Mir. A few in uh, Slobodka or tells we mentioned, but um, he studies in Klesk. And, um, and he, along with others who were learning there at the time, have this should we leave as the war clouds are gathering? Or Barn Cutler actually opposed Rabbi Gaddafi's show leaving and he left anyway. Rabbi Miller used connections in the Kovna consulate, the American consulate, to be able to leave at the last second. Rav Nassim um, left after the last second, like I said before. And the whole question is when to leave, should they leave, and are they able to get out just in time? And most of them do get out in time. The American consulates in throughout Europe warned their citizens to leave as war clouds were gathering over Europe, as Hitler was making belligerent gestures towards Poland, and therefore they were advised to leave and many of them did so, laying the foundations of building the Torah world and the rabbinical world in America following the war. You can reach me, Yehuda Geberer, at ygebss at gmail.com for questions, comments, sources, or to book tours to see any of these amazing places. Subscribe now to Jewish History, Soundbites on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. Don't miss an episode. Give a good rating. Share with your friends and family and follow us on Twitter at JSoundBoys, and we hope you enjoy.